Hi, welcome. My name is Michael Apple. I'm joined in conversation this week by advocate Aaron Richards and Ethel Williams, Bain whistleblower. And first on the agenda is the issue of legal privilege. Kick us off here, Aaron. Why legal privilege? Why is this an issue? And why does it uh, have anything to do with Bain and company and how two commissions of inquiry have implicated them in the decimation of the South African Revenue Service, amongst other places. Let's start there. Legal privilege, what is it? Why are we talking about it? Great. Mike, thanks so much for having me back. Um, let's just start with what legal privilege actually is. So legal privilege protects from disclosure any documents between attorney and client that are produced either for the purposes of seeking legal advice or for the purposes of preparing for contemplated um, litigation. Now, why it's important is because this, this issue raised its head quite significantly in um, Athol's testimony before, before the commission. Um, We've, we've spoken twice about all of Bain's nefarious work at SARS, so we don't need, need to recap that. But in essence, what happened there, as I understand it, is Bain actually asked a law firm, Baker McKenzie, to do an external investigation of what had happened during its time at SARS uh, between 2014 and 2015. And the idea, as I understand it from Athol's testimony, was that that investigation was supposed to be open and transparent and it was supposed to be overseen by Athol in the best interests of South Africa. Now, what happened is that legal privilege was one of the reasons invoked um, that actually prevented full transparency during that negotiations process. And so it's quite important, I think, for people to look at the issue of legal privilege to understand how it can operate both in favor of the client, but also sometimes to um, unjustifiably suppress information uh, or the flow of information in society. Mr. Williams, let me bring you in here. I was reading through your testimony at the State Capture Inquiry, the 23rd of March, 2021. For my sins, I couldn't sleep last night. So I was reading through your testimony. And on several occasions, I saw you bring up the issue of privilege in relation to Baker McKenzie. Who is Baker McKenzie from your point of view? What were they brought in to do? And how was legal privilege used, I wouldn't say against you, but to kind of stop you from inevitably finding out what went on at Bain? So, Michael, as I understand it, Baker McKenzie is one of the world's largest law firms. Um, in fact, I think it's the, the, uh, the U.S.'s largest law firm. Um, Bain had brought Baker McKenzie in um, supposedly to conduct an inter um, and, and sorry an independent investigation this was how bain had announced it in its press release and announced it to the nugent commission that they called in baker mckenzie to conduct this independent investigation into what had happened at sars and also what had happened at some of the other state institutions where bain had worked um the way i got involved was Bain were, at that stage, so we're talking about September 2018, just um, soon after um, Bain had testified at the Newton Commission. At that point, Bain wanted to show South Africa that they were being open and transparent about what they discovered in this investigation. And they wanted to give assurances that they would be open and transparent. 
And so Bain contracted with me. At this point, I wasn't employed by Bain. I'd left Bain in 2010. But in 2018, they contracted with me. And my contract stipulated that I would provide oversight of the Baker McKenzie investigation. So what this meant was I wouldn't conduct any investigation. Baker McKenzie was there to conduct the investigation. But I would see all the evidence that Baker McKenzie collected. I would see Baker McKenzie's final findings report. And I would write a report that would, that would go to the Newton Commission and go public to give assurances that what was reported in the Baker McKenzie report actually was what was found. So it was that extra layer of assurance of transparency and truthfulness that I was contracted to provide. Now, two problems arose. Well, one, um, I discovered while being there that Baker McKenzie had actually been contracted to Bain even before this investigation had started. So Baker McKenzie were Bain's legal advisors before, during, and after the investigation, which raises this question of whether they really were independent investigators to start with. That was problem one. Problem two was that Baker McKenzie did not fulfill the requirements of my contract, which was for me to see their findings report. And in fact, their contract with Bain states that I would see their findings report simultaneously with Bain. And, and, and as it turned out, Bain saw their findings I never did during that contracted period. Erin and I were nodding our heads simultaneously here. There's a bit of a problem here. How truly independent was the investigation undertaken by Baker McKenzie? Do red lights yeah. kind of go off here? I, yeah, th th there are a couple of red lights for me, but I think that there's two issues here. Um, the one is, was it transparent? And the other one was, was it independent? Because those were those were the two overarching principles. It wasn't just the independence. It was also the transparency. That was the hallmark of this entire thing. Now, it looks from what Athel has said as though both of those elements were significantly compromised by having used the same law firm. Because let's look at what happened here. Was Bain was... Bain was appearing frequently, well, I think actually it was only once or twice at, at the end of the day, but they were preparing yeah. numerous submissions before the, the Nugent Commission. And as I understand it, it was Baker McKenzie who was advising them and preparing them um, for their appearances and for their, um, their submissions to, to that commission. And then once that's been done or once that's in process, they then simultaneously are contracted to do this supposed transparent external independent investigation. Now, let's just look at how privilege can, can operate nefariously here. Now, when Bain was, or when Baker McKenzie was helping Bain prepare for the commission, that those documents, any documents that came to light during that process of preparation would legitimately be privileged from disclosure. But, and that's all fair and well. But the problem then comes in is what happens if some of those documents are also relevant to the supposed um, transparent and independent investigation? Then you have a problem, right? Do you stick to privilege, which you're going to have to unless the client waives it? Remember, it's only a client that can waive privilege because the privilege attaches to the client. So privilege is intact over those documents, but now the independence and the transparency of the investigation are compromised. Now, I mean, that is a conflict that's so obvious it would hit a three-year-old in the face. 
So, you know, one wonders whether it was actually correct for Baker McKenzie to have taken that work in, in, in the first place. Not the work to advise on, on the appearance before the commission, but the work then to also take on the investigation, knowing that there was a possibility that the investigation could be compromised. I mean, it would have yeah. been obvious to them right from the beginning that certain privileged documents would not be able to make their way to, to Athol. Um, I yeah. mean, there's there's a striking figure in um, in Athel's testimony where I think, if I'm correct, Athel, you say um, that Baker had started looking on laptops and cell phones for certain documents, and they'd come up with over a million documents, and Athel was provided with a fraction of those, and many of them were actually kept away from him under the guise of privilege. Now one wonders what was in those documents. And just to add to that, Erin, um, I... I, I think, you know, with a large firm like Baker McKenzie, if we give them the benefit of the doubt for just a moment, there could be an argument that says, well, they had Chinese walls. They, they, they'd have, a, a, you know, a Chinese wall between the legal advisory team and the investigation team. And under those circumstances, we might say, well, OK, we, we can understand the same law firm did both, but they were Chinese walls. Those two never spoke to each other. Mm. The bizarre thing here is it was the exact same people. Mm. We were both the advisors and the leaders of the investigation. <laughs> were they setting so, up Chinese walls within themselves? <laughs> well, the well, exactly. And, and so I think we, we, we get into existential type of metaphysical issues of whether we can do that within ourselves. But I think, as, as you rightly say, they were legal advisors first because they were advising Bain. They, they, they pre- helped Bain prepare documents that went to the Nugent Commission. Mm. They helped Bain... In fact, they helped um, Vittorio Massone prepare for his testimony. And so they were legal advisors first. The question then became, should they have taken that that, uh, mandate to conduct the investigation? I think, and maybe I'm being disingenuous, for me it shows the intent at the outset of this investigation was never for it to be transparent and independent because these two parties entered into a contract which they knew would be compromised because they were not independent. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to pick up on on that, on a sort of slight point of, of clarification. You know, had it been different people working within Baker McKenzie on, on different facets, yes, they could have erected a Chinese wall. And, and I've, I see that done very often and often very successfully in, in law firms where different teams will, will do work um, for the same client and there's no and there's no conflict because of that Chinese wall. But even if on the best interpretation, um, Baker McKenzie was somehow able to maintain <laughs> um, the independence of the investigation. The fact is, they must have known from the start that the transparency of the investigation would be compromised because there were certain privileged documents that would not be disclosed to you. So even if the the, the independence was, was maintained, the transparency was compromised. And so here you, you get into this very fraught legal, ethical debate around what comes first, you know, your duty to your client as a lawyer, or do you also have a higher duty for to the constitution to the value of transparency of governance for example and to ensure the flow of certain information in which case if that's your higher duty then you should refuse the brief to do the investigation and say we cannot ensure transparency of this investigation if you really want it to be transparent go to another firm 
Okay, but it, it all depends on on how the lawyers classify their, their 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 duties. I mean, it would have been interesting to see if some what happened or what what would have happened if someone actually pushed for the release of the report, because that's the other interesting thing. Is as I understand it, there were two reports. Ethel, is that right? An interim and a final report. Um, no, there was just one report. There should have been two, but they only prepared one. Am I correct that that didn't go to either the Nugent Commission or to you or to the public? That, that's right, Erin. In fact, it didn't go to the Nugent Commission on the advice of Baker McKenzie. Mm. Baker McKenzie advised Bain not to submit a report to the Nugent Commission. I put it to you, not an independent investigator. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does. As, and as far as I'm concerned or, or remember, you know, when they refused to give you that report, they didn't expressly invoke privilege. They they kind of tortured you almost. You know, first they offered it to you and then they said, well, no, you can't see it. No, you can kind of half see it. No, sorry, we'll read it to you. Now, that's not an invocation of privilege because they would have known that the report was not privileged because the privilege had been waived by virtue of the transparency of the investigation. So what they did instead was they frustrated you to the point of where you just gave up because you knew you weren't going to see this this report. And if you look at this, to my mind, all of this speaks to the fact that, and, and I could be wrong, but it's the, it's, it's the conclusion I'm drawing from, from the facts, and it would be interesting to hear Baker McKenzie's version at, at some point, um, is that there, there was never a, a true intention to have a transparent, independent investigation. It was a public relations exercise. Do you, do you feel like you were used in, in that way? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I was, as you described, um, frustrated during this process. They were, as I communicated to Bain, they were manipulating me. They were trying to hoodwink me, and I kept catching them out. So, so as you say, um, it was explicit, absolutely explicit in their contract, in my contract, that I would see their findings at the same time as Bain. So that was crystal clear. Um, towards near, near, sort of so three months in or two months into my contract, um, Baker McKenzie said to me, they're not producing a report, which I found very odd. Um, how do you conduct an investigation and not produce a report? So that was the first back and forth um, of me then going to Bain saying, well, if Baker McKenzie don't produce a report, how do I verify um, that it's been, this, this investigation has been truthful and transparent? Because that's ultimately what I need to make my judgment. Then they came back to me saying, oh, no, there will be a report, but um, I can't see it. Um, and, of course, this, this was nonsensical, so I pushed back against this. Then they came to me, and this is all documented, all part of the evidence I submitted to the Zondo Commission. Then they came back to me and said, well, they will read the report to me on the phone, um, <laughs> but I must claim that I've seen it, right? And, in fact, there's an incident I described in my book, Deep Collusion, where we have this this um, this conference call, we've got Baker McKenzie partners um, from the US and South Africa on the phone, we've got the Bain people on the phone, and I'm on the phone, and I'm supposed to see this report on my computer screen, and we're meant to walk through it. And we're talking and talking, but I'm not seeing the, the report on my screen. And so an hour into the call, I asked them, but when am I gonna see this report? And the Baker McKenzie partner says to me, um, well, we are reading it to you. Um, that should be good enough. Do you think we'd lie to you? And I then immediately end this call. But it was these sort of games where they they said they'll do something, then, then they didn't. Because um, as it ended, by the end of my contract, my oversight contract, I hadn't seen this report. 
And so obviously I could not fulfill my mandate. Yeah, I mean, how belittling is that? I, I read in your in your testimony, and it's in your book, that you said to the guy, but you're, you're trying to paint a picture, or you're trying to explain to me what, uh, what a portrait or a picture looks like. I mean, you went to extraordinary lengths to be able to get, just to get your hands on this report, and they sought to scupper that at every turn. Erin, uh, neutral arbiter investigator versus Bain is paying them to put up this sort of charade in the end. Mm, yeah. And I mean, look, so it seems to me patently clear that that's exactly what this was, was a charade. And the question then becomes, well, did Baker McKenzie know that it was a charade? Um, and, and if they did, what were, their, what were their ethical duties there? You know, my, my argument would have been that if they did know, they should have just, they should have refused that, that brief to do that investigation. Um, and arguably, even if they didn't know, it must have become manifest to them um, through that process that, that they were being used just as Athel was being used. And at that point, they should have, um, on, 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 in my view, relinquished that, that brief. But like I say, this, the, the ethical space in law is, is fraught with, with debate and inconsistencies. And so it's always useful to get the versions of, of both sides in, in something like that. But it certainly doesn't look to me like this was, was independent or at any point supposed to be independent. Um, and the one very alarming thing that appears from Athel's transcripts is this idea of the report being used for prosecution. As I understand it, when, and Athel, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading that you had raised this as an issue and said, well, I'm sorry, but why is it that I'm not seeing this report? Why is it not being disclosed? And the answer that, that came back was, well, it might open Bain to prosecution. Am I correct there? Now, now that that is that is also to me a, a, ve a very very alarming fact. You know, firstly, the report was not privileged. So, on what basis do you do you stop it from being released or prevent it from being released? And if there is some kind of overarching um, prosecutorial element there, well, then that's surely more justification for its release, not less justification, you know, especially if it's not privileged. Um, so, you know, we come back to this whole debate around which value in society do we hold most dear? Is it the, is it the, the privacy of the individual or is it the free flow of important information in society? Um, and that's something that the legal fraternity hasn't, hasn't quite, quite grappled with yet. And I mean, I'd be quite keen to hear Athel's kind of ethical critique of, of where we are as a society, because it seems like we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do. Mr. Williams, go ahead. I took the view, and I think with justification, that Baker McKenzie were there as the independent investigators. And in my understanding of legal privilege, it therefore didn't apply. Mm. Because Baker McKenzie, in my understanding, were not hired to be Bain's legal advisors. They were hired to be independent investigators. And so I pushed quite hard against this idea of legal privilege. Um, even in their affidavit to the Zonda Commission, Bain disparagingly tries to obviously insult and discredit me but talk about how I don't understand legal privilege. And maybe that's true. Maybe I don't understand it. But in my mind, if you talk about an independent investigator, I think the issue of legal privilege becomes irrelevant because this independent investigator should have collected the facts, synthesized the facts in a report, and handed it over to the client and left the client um, to do with it what, what they wanted or handed it over to the Nugent Commission. 
but the independent investigator cannot be advising the client on what to do with that information, and secondly, cannot be um, hiding behind privilege when it comes to that, that, that information. So I understand how you could say, well, you know, maybe Baker McKenzie didn't know they were being used. I want to argue Baker McKenzie were absolutely complicit in this whole exercise because there's even evidence where Baker McKenzie writes, we've found this information and we must decide whether we want to send this to the Nugent Commission. And, and the language says two things. The language says um, they, 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 they saw themselves as part of the Bain team. You know, what will we do with this information? And secondly, it wasn't, this must obviously go to the Nugent Commission, which is what I think an independent investigator would be doing, but we must decide whether we want to send this to the Nugent Commission. That, for me, again, shows that they were part, they understood what was happening. This was a cover-up. This was a sham investigation. And so it isn't even an ethical dilemma for me, Aaron. It's, it's so clear of, of a law firm, I think, acting unethically, um, not doing its duty as an independent investigator, which is what Baker McKenzie has been hired to do and what I've been hired to oversee. That, I think, is is incredibly important, especially that, that email that you've just referenced there where they say that, that they wanted to decide what to do, because that was something that came up repeatedly in the Nugent Commission, um, was a lot of frustration with with um, with Bain, where it was felt that Bain was putting forward the information that they wanted the commission to see rather than the information that they knew was, was relevant. And this came up time yeah. and time and time again. So again, this concern that they were being used um, as some kind of PR stunt rather than an exercise in transparency. Now, let's just get back to this thing about um, about privilege and investigations, because that, that's interesting, is does privilege attach to investigations? Now, in, in law, the answer to that is it depends what the purpose of the investigation is. If the purpose of the investigation is to give advice to the client, it will be covered by privilege. If the purpose of the investigation is to prepare for litigation, it will be covered mostly by privilege. If the purpose is an independent, transparent investigation, which, by the way, if it's transparent, you've implicitly waived whatever privilege might or might not attach. But if it's an independent investigation, privilege shouldn't attach there because you're not you're not giving legal advice and you're not giving any kind of preparatory advice for contemplated litigation. So, I mean, unless there was something going on behind the scenes that, that we don't know about it, but it seems pretty clear that privilege in and of itself didn't attach, especially to that report. Um, so, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And, and it, it does appear as though there was some kind of agreement to, to thwart the, the transparency here, which is unfortunate. It's unethical. Ethel, did the Nugent Commission or the state capture inquiry make a finding in regard to, to Baker McKenzie and them not being able to release or relinquish this report to you? Was any finding ever made by either of those commissions of inquiry? Um, Michael, not, not explicitly from what I know. So um, Baker McKenzie was not mentioned in either of those reports. I, I think the, the point that Aaron made earlier is an important one. This, this fact that Bain says we cannot release this report to you, Ethel, or to anyone publicly, because if we did, it would uh, enhance the chances that we get prosecuted. Um, now, again, in my, in my simple mind, it indicates that there was information found there that proved Bain's wrongdoing, perhaps even criminal activity. 
Uh, and why wasn't and, that put up so, in the commissions? Yeah, and, and this argument that Bain keeps putting forward that said, oh, we made some mistakes and um, the report found no wrongdoing, I kept saying, well, let the public see this report. Let us, let us um, understand what happened. Don't give us the conclusion that you draw. Let us see the details of the report. And, and that's never been made um, made public. But I think I've got other enough, enough documentary evidence where Bain has looked at this report, Bain and McKenzie have looked at this report, and they know it's going to be problematic because they themselves say that if this is made public, um, it will enhance the chance of them being prosecuted. So this is a clear example to my layman mind of player and referee being being one in the same here. Where to from here? If the report exists, and, and Ethel, I'd like to believe it does because they, they tried their darndest to keep it away from you. Where to now, Erin? Uh, mm. Well, yeah. I mean, so as I said earlier, it would have been really interesting to to see what would have happened had the, had the decision to withhold that report been challenged in in court, and that's an that's an option that is that's still open for uh, for pursuit. I mean, I don't know whether Athol or anyone else has got any intentions of of pursuing that, but it's certainly an avenue that is that is open. Um, you know, we, we can't be certain what the court will will find because obviously it will have facts from both sides. You know, it, it will also have Baker McKenzie's version and facts and Bain's version and facts. Um, and it will then make a, a determination about whether there is any basis to to withhold that that report. Um, so so that that is an avenue that's that's um, that's open. And just to go back to what Athel said about this law firm issue having not been raised in any of the reports it's correct and and there was a, a disappointing lack by the commission in 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 my view and one can understand because they were just swamped with with a, a massive pile of, of work but there was no interrogation of the role of lawyers or, or of law firms in the state capture that was under investigation um, and also into you know whether or not law firms are actually now perpetuating state capture by ensuring and keeping information suppressed. Now one would think that would be an important aspect to to interrogate, but it just it, it got left completely by by the sidelines. So lawyers have basically been left completely off the hook in in this. Everyone else is getting interrogated. All the other industries, all the politicians, everyone's being hauled through the cleaners, except the law firms. But um, and not not just law firms, advocates. You know, it, it's not. I'm not saying that there's a massive ethical problem across the entire thing, and everyone's captured. I'm not saying that at all. But but we do need to start having debates around the role of lawyers in in facilitating state capture, because inadvertently or intentionally, they often get caught up in in these these schemes um, and in justifying certain actions and conduct that, at the end of the day, constitute state capture. Ethel Williams, as the lawyers say, final bite at the cherry. I, I agree with what what Aaron's saying about we need to also bring law firms into our purview in thinking about the players involved in state capture. Because in this case, with Bain and Baker McKenzie, Baker McKenzie are intimately involved in the cover-up, which for me is an action of frustrating justice in our country, not advancing it. Um, and as a law firm of their international stature, I think it's important for them to be playing the role of advancing justice. Um, it's also interesting that Baker McKenzie have given organizations like Business Leadership South Africa uh, assurance that their investigation was transparent and independent. 
And, and, and so this has real impact in, in what's happening in our country right now, whether Bain should be operating or not, because they've continued this narrative that the investigation was independent and transparent, where in my mind, all facts show the opposite. So I do think we need to get to this point of holding the real players more accountable. Um, Bain, absolutely. But I think in this case, Baker McKenzie as well has a lot to answer for, for its role in, in covering up what Bain did and is doing in our country. Fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Ethel Williams from an undisclosed location. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. And as always, Aaron Richards, thanks for listening.